Welcome to the Denver United Church Sermon of the Week. Here's a message from Pastor Rob Brendel. Good morning, everybody. I'll tell you what, never have I been so glad by the time we got to Advent for the family of God, for being able to be together with those of you who are here, for being able to be together in worship and in spirit with those of you who are worshiping house to house this morning. Nothing that the enemy would take a plan or co-opt has the power to stop the kingdom of God and to hinder the people of God. It's just us. We're the only ones that have that power if we choose, if we choose to isolate, if we choose to be defeated. But we have in Christ everything we need for life and godliness. And I've just never felt more grateful for it than this year. So good to see you all be with you and to worship and study God's word together. Hey, I want to tell you thank you for all of you who participated over the last couple weeks in the legacy offering. What that is, of course, is, is an endowment. It's endowing our church family with the capability of rapid response, of being able to m- respond to needs as they arise, to opportunities to advance the kingdom, to show the love of Jesus, or to help where there's hurt um, in immediate fashion. And so these legacy funds are strictly set aside for that purpose. They They aren't part of our operating budget. They don't keep the lights on or pay our staff. And because of that, we have had the opportunity over the course of 2020 to express generosity and show Jesus' love in practical ways far beyond what we could have imagined this time last year. Thank you all who have uh, responded. And this is a purely free will offering. So please feel no pressure, feel no guilt, obligation, or anything like that. For those who have a lot or were blessed this year, let's give generously. And those who, who have little, let's still give generously if we're able. And if we've got nothing or we're struggling to keep food on the table, don't give. This is purely uh, above and beyond as we're able. And even this week, as we've been rebooting for next year's Legacy Fund, we had the opportunity to respond to an organization that isn't a partner because we hadn't discovered them until the hardships that we learned of this year because of COVID. It's called Project Shine. I just want to read you about it briefly. Project Shine provides health literacy training community engagement activities, and patient navigation services to refugee and immigrant families living in Denver and Aurora. Doesn't that sound wonderful? We strive to create more inclusive communities by engaging the most isolated populations and to decrease health disparities by helping people navigate our healthcare system and engage them in preventative health activities in their communities. That's Project Shine. Who is more marginalized and vulnerable among us, especially this year, than the refugee and immigrant communities? We've been able to wrap around them as we learned of some of these families and their needs. We discovered Project Shine that's serving them. So we were able to make a significant, generous gift this past week together as a church family to serve immigrant and refugee families in our own region 
in Jesus' name during such a difficult, vulnerable time. And that's what legacy enables us to do. So thank you to all of you who have been a part of that. It's still open and ongoing. So if you haven't but wanted to or have been waiting to see if you're able to or seeking God about whether or how much to, simply go online, denverunited.com, click on Give, and then select Legacy Offering. That will mark all of those dollars as separate from our normal tithes and offerings, and we'll set them aside for that purpose, to be able to be generous and strategic in every opportunity. Because who, who knows what 2021 brings, but what we know is there will be people who are poor, marginalized, isolated, and underserved, and we'll have the opportunity to show them the love of Jesus together. So, amazing work. Thank you. You ready to jump into the Word? Father, in Jesus' name, thanks for your word. Would you bring it to life for us and transform us in Jesus? Amen. It's Advent season, and we're looking at a key verse in Isaiah 9 that describes God come to the world in the form of Jesus, our Savior. We're going to continue with that. You know, I was reflecting on how I experienced Advent over the years. And as a child, God to me was always real. I never didn't believe. Like some of us had a tryst with atheism where we threw out the baby with the bathwater on purpose. For whatever reason, that part never happened to me. I always believed in God. But God to me was like a cross between, you know, Thomas Jefferson's watchmaker in the sky who said, the gears in motion, wound them up and said, have at it. Hope you don't screw it up. You know, kind of between that and maybe like, like Wilfred Brimley, you know, like America's grandpa that did the Quaker Oats commercials. Like, you got to have a good breakfast, son. And then sent you out the door. He, He was good and kind, such as he was, but distant and secondary to my daily life. And so I realized that I spent a lot of my young life trying to fill that gap. Not trying to replace God, but trying to fill the gap. You know what I'm talking about? The gap between where God stopped and where my life began. The day-to-day, the things I was waiting for, the things I was seeking out. You know, from achievement to alcohol, I looked for things that that would... make me feel better. From girls to Greenpeace, I looked for things that would give my life purpose. I was searching for something, and it never occurred to me that my belief in God was what would fill that void, right, until I met Jesus. And it occurred to me a little later in life as I reflected on that season that I think that's true of most all of us. Everybody is searching for something to fill that void. I think Annie Lennox of like 80s rock band Eurythmics, you know, she had the right of it. Everybody's looking for something. Do you want to sing it? Do you hear it playing in TJ Maxx? Sweet dreams are, she sang like a man made of these. Who am I to disagree? Feel free to sing along. Travel the world and the seven seas, everybody's looking for something. I sang much longer than I really planned to. That was quite a lot of singing that I'm going to want to edit out of that video, please. Everybody's looking for something, and that, I think, is what Advent is all about. Advent is God minding the gap, right? It's God filling that void. It's saying to the people of Israel 700 years before Jesus' birth, you believe in God, good. You commemorate God's deliverance of your forefathers from bondage in Egypt, super. But that which you're still waiting to see happen in your life 
it's coming. And it's us commemorating God's having come to the earth to those people who are waiting for deliverance. Yes, super, but it's also us waiting anew and afresh in real time for God to come and fill that void between his existence, good and tacit, and my reality. That's the heart and soul of Advent. Isaiah chapter 9 is where we're looking in the Word of God this season. The people, verse 2, who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The people who are recognizing God but feeling the void, searching for something to fill the gap, all of a sudden experienced Him. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Verse 6, for to us, famous verse, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We're in a series that's looking at that verse zoomed way in, Isaiah 9-6. It doesn't say his name will be Bill. It says his name will be called. He will be known as. So it's four descriptors of God come to earth. Last week, Pastor George did an amazing job entering this text and kicking us off, looking at how his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. And I don't know about you, but every time I called something wonderful this week, I found myself thinking, is it like Pele wonderful or sort of ordinary like pepperoni pizza, New York style, wonderful? And that reminded me of God, of, of the, the transcendent wonder of his presence, God with us. So important. And this morning we're going to continue in this series and his name will be called Mighty God. Mighty God. And this descriptor tells us two important things about God at Advent. Jesus the Messiah, the long-expected one. The first is that his name will be called, in fact, God, mighty or otherwise. The mind-blowing reality of the incarnation is the first of the two truths that we're going to look at here. And it's central to the message and the revelation of Advent. This utterly inexplicable concept with which we've become so familiar because it's central to our Christian faith, but that we can't lose sight of. It says in John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son. He came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He who we couldn't see, we've seen. He who we couldn't know, we've lived with. He dwelt among us. The Word became flesh. It was St. Augustine who first reflected so profoundly on this gargantuan paradox. Man's maker, he observed, was made man that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way 
be tired on his journey. That truth might be accused of false witness. The teacher be beaten with whips. The foundation be suspended on wood. The strength might grow weak, but the healer might be wounded. That light might die. Who can grasp the magnitude, the contrast of the incarnation? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. One of my favorite American pastors, Max Licato, wrote a wonderful book about Advent called God Came Near. Have you ever read this book? Listen to how he describes it. God, Pastor Max wrote, became a man while the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus. Pretty visceral, right? Holiness, sleeping in a womb, the creator of life, being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God had come near. This is the mystery. This is the wonder of the incarnation. And this is the first of two things I want you to see. His name will be called Mighty God. Jesus, the child who would be born, would be known as none other than God himself. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name will be called Mighty God. What's fascinating on top of the incarnation itself is the descriptor. Like last week, we looked at how he would be called not just a counselor, but a Pele counselor. What was so wonderful, what was so otherworldly wonderful about this counselor? His presence with us pointed us to one who would be known as Emmanuel, God with us. But he didn't stop there. He will be called Mighty God. And this, to the Hebrew hearer, would be notable. Because, as many of you know, Hebrews knew God as El. El and then a descriptor. There were many different names that were derivative to that for God. Most often, he was referred to as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But here... Here the prophet says he will be known as El Gibor, mighty God. Not God Almighty, but mighty God. What's the difference? You're like, isn't that a distinction without a difference? Well, bear with me for a second. Gibor, the Hebrew descriptor here, literally translates first and most often mighty in reference to physical strength right? And then secondly, powerful, pertaining to political or military might or influence. Here's how uh, this is almost invariably used in Scripture. Let me give you a couple of examples. Proverbs 30. Remember in Proverbs where Solomon's like, six things are strong. No, seven that I can't master. One is 
the lion, which is mightiest, giborist, if you will, among beasts and doesn't turn back before any. He's talking about how the lion is imposing, intimidatingly strong among the creatures of the earth. Psalm 112, this is the legacy psalm. We read this a few weeks ago on Legacy Sunday. Remember this? Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring, the offspring of the righteous, we were talking about the legacy that the righteous woman or man leaves, will be gibor, mighty in the land, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. His offspring, it's saying, will be influential. And so Gibor is almost invariably used not of God's transcendent, almighty, otherworldly power. That's true of God, and it's no less true of Jesus. But here's what the prophet wants us to note. He will be El Shaddai, God Almighty. You know, when you think of that, think of like keeper of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime, the one who dwells in unapproachable light, the one who created universes, holds galaxies in his hands, the one who's outside of time. That God to be sure, but it says his name on earth, he'll be known as El Gibor, the mighty God in the sense of earthly human might. The way that God's creatures, a lion is mighty. The way that a righteous person's descendants go on to be influential, consequential, to matter, to have weight to throw around. It's like he's saying he's going to be God, but God's got game. He's willing to bring it. So Advent reveals not just a God who is with us. Indeed, that's fundamentally, primarily true, but a God also, who is for us. See, Advent reveals a God who bridges the gap, who is not just capable of creating a universe and kidneys and everything in between, winding the watch up and saying, here you go, hope it works out well, don't screw it up but a God who is willing to enter that and be mighty, not just in the cosmic transcendent sense, but mighty in the earthly, immediate, meet my needs sort of sense. Do you see it? Do you see it? El Gabor, are you with me? Because I can go on about this Hebrew word. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay, this is important. Mighty God. God who acts on our behalf. Advent points to a Savior who is both able and willing to help. Remember in Mark chapter 1, shortly after Jesus springs on the scene and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, among the first interactions the gospel records is that a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of him, begging to be healed. Do you remember this? We've looked at it before. If you are willing, the man said, you can heal me and make me clean. Notice, whether he's able is not in question. He knows God. He believes that he is the keeper of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime, and all that stuff of stained glass and statues His question isn't whether Jesus is able. His question is whether he's willing. See, do you see what's happening? He's living in the gap. He knows the God, 
the God of the storybooks, the God of the ages, the God that rescued his ancestors. But he, he needs help. And so he says to the son who was promised 700 years ago, if you are willing, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus looks at him and says, I am willing. That is Advent. Advent proclaims the coming kingdom, at which time God's going to put everything to rights, the restoration of all of his good creation. But it whispers of the cross. He who knew no sin would become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. It whispers of the ultimate need of humanity, the help we need that we can't generate or find from our peers. God is with us, Emmanuel, and God is for us. Jesus, the promised son, is Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who would do for us what we so deeply, so desperately needed and what we couldn't do for ourselves. In Luke chapter 4, the Bible teaches that shortly after Jesus had his coming out party, you know, his, his inaugural event, he was baptized, people heard heaven part and a voice saying, this is my son, I'm well pleased with him. Why do I always sound like Sean Connery when I say that? I don't know. That's why I imagine God spoke, right? And everyone's like, what was that? And they realize something's happening here. And then the spirit led him out to the desert to be tempted by the, the devil. And then he comes back. You know where he went first? He went back to his childhood home of Nazareth. And he went into the synagogue there. And he asked them, as was their custom, for the prophet Isaiah's scroll. And he stood up to read. And these are the words he read. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set the prisoners free, to declare the year of the favor of the Lord. And then he rolled up the scroll again. And he handed it back to the synagogue attendant. And in the ultimate mic drop moment, Jesus said, Today, this is fulfilled in me. And then he sat back down. And then the whole world turned upside down after that. Jesus announced what was foretold of him centuries prior was the purpose for which he came. Not to reveal a God who merely condescended to come slumming with us from heaven. You know, history, human narratives are full of incarnation accounts, aren't they? Scarcely is there a deity structure, a religious construct that doesn't include an incarnation account, right? Like the Norse mythological deity structure. The gods would periodically take human form and come down. Why? Because they enjoyed messing with people. It's essentially like, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Loki. Loki was a Norse god whose function was to jack people up. To like lead them down the primrose path. To pull the carpet out from under their feet. And they, 
used humans as their playthings. Or perhaps like the Roman gods who would periodically come to earth, not so much because they were capricious or whimsical with human emotions, but because they had a grander narrative that they were playing out and humans were just, were just extras on the set, right? We were the ones to get blown up in their deity feuds. But God... El Shaddai loved the world, you and me, so much that he sent his one and only son. He called him El Gibor, mighty God. God who is mighty not just in the ethereal, universal sense, but who is mighty to fill your gap, to meet your need, to bind up your broken heart, to proclaim liberty to your captivity, to take your chains and break them once and for all. God is with us and God is for us. That's the simple wonder of Advent. And so it asks us, if we're willing, what is it that you're waiting for? What have you been seeking? Alongside and over against your abiding belief that God is out there and maybe that he's El Shaddai, almighty. He's got the universe, but you're trying to get a job. You're trying to navigate the broken relationships in your family. Where's God in that? Let me ask you, what are you waiting for? What in your life needs Jesus' help. Will you invite him in this Advent season? What area in your life is bound up or closed off or hoping against hope that maybe this year you'll make the right New Year's resolutions? You'll wish on the correct star and things will just change. What are you waiting for? Maybe it's help for addiction or loneliness, for sexual brokenness or anxiety or fear. Maybe it's poverty. Maybe it's restlessness. What are you waiting for? Jesus Christ came into the world to set things right. And one day he will come again. We wait for that day and we remember and focus on that waiting in Advent like the people leading up to the time of Jesus' birth waited for him to come for the first time. But the kingdom of God is such that We don't have to wait for Jesus to return and finish the work of the kingdom for his kingdom work to begin in our hearts. He said the good news is that the kingdom of heaven is near. It's coming. It starts now and it's in here, working its way out. Jesus would heal you. Jesus would give you peace. 
He would mend your relationships. He would break the chains that have held you in bondage as long as you can remember. Would you stand with me? We're just going to pray this morning. For those of you at home, uh, whether you're standing or sitting, um, whatever you're doing, can we pray this together? Father, we need help. There's a gap between what we know of you and what we experience in this hard life. And Lord, lots of us are dealing with things that we didn't ask for, we didn't seek out, we don't deserve. Some of us are dealing with the fruits of our own bad decisions, the consequences of the ways we've invested our brokenness. Thank you that you don't find fault. Thank you that you say freely come. Wherever we are, whatever we've gotten ourselves into, whatever has been done to us, we believe that you came for it. And Lord, we need help. Friends, would you do this as we're here just in in the presence of God? Just think of what that is, where you need help. Maybe it's poverty, maybe it's addiction, maybe it's you're bound in some sin that you don't even like anymore, but it keeps you coming back and you got to do more to get less and less of the payoff and you feel worse and worse about yourself. Maybe it's loneliness, crushing loneliness. Maybe it's mental darkness, depression that's so pervasive you can't see beyond the fog. You keep it in a locked room, right? A safe room deep inside. You don't let people in there, and for good reason. Tried that once before, saw what that got me. And so we go to our groups or to our Zoom meetings or we come to church and we present the the self, the version, the parts of us that are acceptable to others. But Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know what's in that room. So friends, if you would, you don't need to say it. It's between you and Jesus. But would you just hold your hands out, just open before heaven. It's like an outward demonstration of a a heart posture of, of Surrender, And then think about that thing. What's in that room? What's in that safe room that you keep locked up? Just hold it out before God. Would you do that? Now, Jesus, all of us who are willing, we bring this before you. This is where we need your help. This is what we've been waiting for. And in this Advent season, where we light candles and sing familiar songs, would you kindle faith in our hearts to receive you? Would you come and bind up our broken hearts? Would you declare liberty to these captives? Would you set us free, break chains that have bound us? Give us hope where all hope has been lost. Take what we hold before you come into this place. Bring healing afresh. Bring hope anew. We love you, God. We welcome your arrival 
Lord Jesus, our Savior. Amen. We hope you've been encouraged this week. For more information or to submit a prayer request, go to denverunited.com. 